cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And I'm present. Hello, Wits. We meet once again. We do. You've got a squeaky chair. Don't well, as long, as long as I don't have a squeaky voice, it's fine. Well, we might get there by the end of this. So, no guest in studio today. It's our first solo show since January, I think. Yeah, it's been a while, and I think we did... Our first sort of solo last year around this time, we called it Mayhem. So now we've got to come up with another clever name for for the show. Mayhem, back with a vengeance. <laughs> it's weak, it's weak. It's uh, something Hollywood would typically do. So uh, we might just run with it. Absolutely. So this show is a bit different, though. We're not just going to shoot the shit out of nowhere. So uh, we put out a, a post in our Facebook group. Asking uh, people to post some questions And then we decided to answer them on air And we got a very nice mix of questions Somehow people mm. are really interested in what do you think about healthcare for some reason mm. I can't think of for anything more, reason. more boring than healthcare You're going to die one day, Ramon No, I know that <laughs> If you're not interested in your healthcare, it's going to be horrible <laughs> uh, Okay, so if you're interested for our next solo show Join our group on Facebook Just look for Renegade Report Group And join... And uh, we will approve or decline. For some reason, a hell of a lot of like Thai-looking names want to join our group. It's those lady boys, you know. But it's weird. Like, well, I, you know, Facebook is just uh, going according to your Google search. So <laughs> I, I'm, oh, I'm just what saying. Nonsense. <laughs> what? Right? Should we get on? Out of crap. <laughs> All right. So should we actually say who the, who asked the question? We didn't expressly ask. No, yeah, let's go for it. I, I don't think anyone wants anonymity. I think it's fine. Okay, we'll just use first names then. Yeah, cool. Right, so Russell asks, uh, what, is, what are our respective journeys to classical liberalism in our respective variations thereof? And maybe you should start, because you, you're the one with the whole bunch of caveats here. Well, a whole bunch of caveats? Yeah, well, you recently abandoned... Um, libertarianism. Then I never was a yeah. libertarian All right, so in, start. in a classical sense. So, so start. Well, I mean, firstly, I went to Vits. If you want to become a conservative, just go to Vits. <laughs> I can concur, actually, with that. Um, it will either make you completely socialist or completely conservative. Right. And, I mean, I was doing law, and the, the lecturer was pontificating that the ANZ government has built more houses than any other government in the history of the world. And he was saying this was a good thing. And then when I asked him, but why should the government build houses? He was like flabbergasted. It's like I committed a mortal sin. <laughs> um, and, and that coincided with reading, uh, Milton Friedman and actually just YouTube videos of Thomas Sowell and Milton Friedman. Mm. So before I would be called, I think, like a classic conservative Republican without the religion, uh, like sort of like anti-gay marriage for some reason. I don't know why. When I was a teenager, I thought no gays were like a bit wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I have to be honest. I was, uh, I actually didn't have an issue with gay people, but I probably would have been against gay marriage yeah. as a teenager. Yeah. yeah, same here. And I don't know why. Um, so I, I looked at Milton Friedman. I, I read about economics first. The patriarchy that did that to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I read about economics first, then Milton Friedman, then von Mises. And then you, and then you, at, at Witz, thankfully, we learned about someone called Robert Nozick. He wrote, uh, 
State Anarchy Utopia or some sort of book uh, about that. And um, once I read that, there you go. I was like, okay, yeah, freedom's cool for everyone. And I don't give a shit who you are and what you decide to do. As long as you don't punch me in the face, we're all good. Yeah, all right. So I don't have as uh, long a history, I suppose. I I think I, I get to this point through a lot of experiences that I've had through my life, mostly late teenage years through my 20s. Also, went to Wits, was involved quite uh, heavily in student politics. So I got to see uh, a, a lot of uh, the side of unions, essentially, because that's what student politics have become and the damage that they cause. Um, and a lot of these thoughts were in my head and I had formulated my opinions on things or my views on things. Didn't really know how I would put them in, in a box um, as much as you can put classical liberalism in a box. I think that's one of the issues with the entire spectrum of the right, conservatism, classical liberalism, libertarianism, even anarchism, um, is that it's very difficult to, to box these things because one classical liberal or libertarian is different to what another one will tell you they think it means. Um, and I have to be honest, this show has been one of the sort of foundational um, uh, parts of, of, of really cementing my my views and, and, and what I, I truly believe. I think a lot of the things were there already. Um, but once we started chatting on the show, you can go back to some of the early episodes and um, shows we did with people like Gwen and Gwenya, Martin van Staden, um, and um, Sichle and Gobesi. And I know he gets a lot of credit, and he deserves it. Um, listening to those people and listening to the views, and as we've gone through and on, and listening to people whose views I don't always agree with. Uh, Steve Hoffmeyer, some of his stuff I didn't agree with, some of it I did. Um, um, it's just those are the things that have really sort of formulated it together. And then myself also, you know, getting um, exposed to some of the, I suppose, philosophers and e economists, the great ones of the past sort of 100, 150 years, and a lot of exposure to the guys who are around now, the, the guys who are doing shows, um, Dave Rubin, for example, Ben Shapiro, uh, I think – in the last year, a lot of those people have had quite a quite a big influence on my thinking. Yeah, and let's not forget that um, we started as a reaction, in a way, to the left. Uh, but now, not anymore. We're still developing our own our own uh, ideology, in a way, uh, independently from from yeah. being a reaction. Yeah, I look. I, I think you have to be open to, and we've always said this, and I think anyone healthy would say this, you have to be open to changing your ideas and your views. Um, it's, it is about an ideology. I, I, don't, I, I don't buy this whole, oh, having an ideology is bad. You've got to have some sort of way you view the world. You've got to have a lens. Um, the lens is classical liberalism, but, for example, I've been swayed quite a bit on my drug stance, um, but not completely. Yeah. Um, and one classical liberal would argue with me and tell me, well, you're not really classical liberal because, you know, you, you, you view it in, 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 in the way you still do. And, and someone else would go, well, no, I don't agree with you. And therefore, maybe say, fine, you're classical liberal, but you know when you're conservative. Right. But at least they don't call you a Nazi for having a, a, a different opinion on, on drugs. Sure. So, which is, which is you helpful. know, I mean, the, the left is who calls people Nazis because they like to identify with their own. Because, as we've said before, the Nazis were 
on the left, which was another question that came up on the group is what is the left and what is the right? Well, uh, um, today it seems like the right is, is it's weird. It's changed. It's, it's not actually in America, at least the right seems to be in favor of big government um, in, in the, in a nationalistic sense. Hmm. Like for me, Obama was a great right wing president in that regard. Cause he was like big statism, uh, healthcare for Americans, uh, you know, like Marine Le Pen in France too. She's, she's right wing, but, uh, it's for, but huge social welfare for, for citizens, you know, building immigration controls and things like that. So the right has morphed a little bit to more nationalistic. Uh, the left today is, I think, Everyone who wants more government control of the of the economy, though the right does like some of that too. So I don't know. I mean, I, I sit in the extreme center mm. of both. I think I, where think I just don't like the state at all, and I prefer uh, human innovation and human freedom rather than anything the state does. So, yeah, if you're asking the question about the right and the left, it's a complex question. Um, if you do a Google search, right versus left, and just click on images. You'll see there's identical images which then place various groups, um, depending on the image, who's posted it on, on either side. So, for example, I call Nazis leftists. Right. Um, and if you go on the web, you'll find images that show you that and, and articles that just, uh, say that. And you'll find articles that say, no, they're, they're far on the far right. Um, I think it's, 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 it can be difficult to, to say what's left and what's right. Um, there is definitely some confusion, uh, as you're mentioning, with regards to, for example, nationalism has popped up on the right, um, although <clears throat> I don't think that that's in the true sense of it, uh, is part of its original roots. Well, but I don't think there's any, an essential element of yeah. right-wing and left-wing anymore. So that, I don't think there ever was. Yeah. I think there were principles on both sides, mm. but now they're melded. And, and as soon as you go to the extremes of both, the horseshoe effect takes yeah, place. Yeah, so the horseshoe is, and they is meet, what's important. So uh, so if you look at the horseshoe at the two at the two ends, we are like, personally, I am right in the middle <clears throat> of, of the horseshoe itself, away from yeah, the ends. What do they call you? A fringe lunatic, I think, is that part of the horseshoe, actually, is what they call the anarchist. But um, the horseshoe is important because it shows you where, and I, I don't really think you do fit into the horseshoe. You might on anarchy, but not on other views. Um, but it, it's really where the far right and the far left meet. And, and if you look at something like the US where you find Antifa um, and uh, the sort of uh, guys on the, the, the far religious right sort of loonies, um, there, there really isn't much difference. Both want to control complete control over their societies um, and very little freedom, actually. Yeah. So, and so we're not left or right. We just want uh, maximum freedom, uh, the, you know, less government intervention, ideally none or no government at all, for me personally. Uh, so, and we want evidence based on, on, on scientific categories because I, the physical world exists. I would say if you've got to describe left and right, um, in my opinion, more right, more right wing views tend towards freedom, individual freedoms, whereas left wing views tend towards collective freedoms, which are not freedoms because they collectivize. Right. Um, that brings us to a question I think you got on WhatsApp, which was something about, uh, was it, was it about how, how, how freedom 
and government uh, sort of mix. Well, what is the dissonance between equality and liberty? Uh, is one at the expense of another? And which ideology is preferable? And <laughs> thoughts? Equality, man, is it's it's the most dangerous concept in political theory yeah. um, that I've ever seen. Hmm. Um, because <clears throat> it's it's and it's not equality of opportunity; it's equity. So outcome must be the same for everyone, irrespective of the inputs um, at the beginning. So uh, I want to live in an unequal society. Um, but the inequality must be based on individual freedoms and choices and networks rather than state intervention, of course. Yeah, I've, I've said multiple times on the show how I don't buy into equality at all. I, the equality of opportunity, yes, um, but there's a problem there as well. You're never going to get perfect equality of opportunity. Yeah. There has to be some reality involved. Uh, what did you want to be when you were a, when you were a kid? Uh, if you wanted to be a doctor or a fireman or whatever it is, those things are, you should have equal opportunity to access those things. All six year olds should be able to, in theory, if they work towards it, get there. But the reality is there are some things you're never going to be able to get equal opportunity to. As a South African, you don't have equal opportunity to become an astronaut because, well, America's probably sent 60 men into, and women into space, and I don't know, probably a handful of them have been non-Americans, for right. example. And we, we won't be basketball players in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, people are not worried about equality like in sports for some reason, but they're worried about equality in uh, uh, demographics in like the corporate world or something to that effect. It's like it's it's always equality in economic terms, not in uh, social terms. Hmm. Well, that was an interesting. That's an interesting point because someone asked a question about what would we change in the constitution. Ooh, everything. And I, I was I, before you get to everything. Yeah, sure. I was giving it some thought around um, the the one of, one of the things I would change certainly in the South African constitution would be. Uh, I would remove any protections for certainly for majority. So BE, for example, affirmative action would be out at minimum with a sunset clause. Um, so I, it's not something I would leave in there forevermore as it as it currently is. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the argument there would be about um, economic equality because obviously there's a disadvantaged population of which the majority of of whom are, are black individuals. Um, and I just, I was just thinking that, uh, that equality is brought around by tax because it's got nothing to do with race. If you're successful, you get taxed more. And if you're not as successful, you get taxed less. Sure. Very simple. So you don't need a constitutional amendment to make sure that, um, you know, the rich essentially pay their fair share and the, the poor get their, get a sort of step up by not being taxed at 40%. So, um, that's one thing, certainly. And that's just one reason, but, and one approach. But that's definitely something I would change. We've got a constitution that you have to understand currently protects the majority. And at some point, that's going to become wrong um, <laughs> despite our past. So in 100 or 200 years' time, uh, if, for example, there are 100,000 white people left and, um, and 100 million black people in the country um, and it's been 200 years, um, then why are you still protecting the majority Constitution should look to protect minorities. 
Uh, yeah, well, it does do that. It is based on individual rights, the Constitution, but it, it hasn't just but been... But that clause, for but, example. Yeah, but it hasn't been tested in court. Most of it hasn't been tested. <clears throat> I would remove all socioeconomic rights, uh, health, housing, water, things like that. I'll let the market... All of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll let the market... Because it's not a right if it's contingent on a budget from the state. Or a person to provide it. So if so, there was a famous case as the Minister of Housing versus Grootboom, right, who, who said, the Constitution said, I have a right to a house. I don't have one, so give me a house. And it went all the way to the Constitutional Court. And the Constitutional Court said, you have the right to a house, but there's no money. So you have the right to access to housing. Mm. Now, it's not a right if it's contingent on something. It's not an inalienable right. It's not like the right to free speech or the right to vote or things like that. So I would remove all socioeconomic rights. Um, I would also remove a lot of the, um, the uh, duties of the federal system. I'll give a lot more autonomy to, to provinces. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, well, there's a lot to change. That said, though, would you change the provinces? Because the autonomy to provinces, you know, it kind of – it it kind of implies that it, the group in the provinces has some sort of homogeneity. They want the people in an area want a certain. They want to direct themselves in a certain way. It's not about that. It's just about the devolution of power. So I mean, if you vote for someone who lives within a hundred kilometer radius or whatever the case might be. So in Gauteng, if we if we vote for the premier of Gauteng, we know where his office is because it's within. What, how big is Harting? It's within like a hundred kilometers of where you are. Right. Uh, so you know exactly who to go to and you know who controls where the budget goes to. If the budget's only used within Harting, there's there's far more transparency and accountability. Yeah. It's very similar. I mean, if I could have the Swiss Swiss Canton system, Mm. I would have it tomorrow. Yeah. All right. So, so remove that, that power. I'm okay with that. What about, uh, also, I'm not sure if this, this is more legislative than constitutional, but, in terms of how we vote. So instead of voting sure. for a party and the party decides who all their people are, um, we vote for individuals. Um, you know, I would like to be able to vote for a president. I, well, the, cons- the, the, if it's based on constituencies, you vote for your, for your local MP. Yeah. And the MP goes to parliament and represents your interests, like in yeah. Britain, like in Switzerland. Yeah. And, and I would, would very much, you know, I, I don't, I don't buy the five thousand people meet in a tent uh, at a, a undisclosed or disclosed location every five years and decide who our next president is. That is the ANC system. Yeah. Um, well, that proportional representation. Yeah, and and it's 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 I just don't like it. I I think, and we would have a very different scenario. The truth be told is that five years, well, what is it? Three years ago now, four years ago now. Um, we wouldn't have ended up with Jacob Zuma. It, you know, it was him against Khalema Mutlanti, I think, and we yeah. almost certainly would have Khalema Mutlanti as our president. Um, just on, on, to continue on this theme of the constitution, uh, we've said it before, but the equality court and all of that kind of stuff. Well, that's um, not technically part of the constitution. But it's, that was it's, di- it's directed though from the constitution. So it's directed that there would be yeah, some sort of misdirected. Um, um, <laughs> there'd, there'd be a, a, a process or a or a a, a body that would uh, sort of deal with 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 that that type of stuff. Yeah. Um. I I I would take away anything that takes away that looks to, to impede freedom in any sense with regards to expression, speech, etc. So I think I think you, those though? are if. Uh 
if uh, I don't know, Blackfist Land First uh, keeps uh, you know holding up signs in the middle of Santon City about kill the whites, would you? Yeah, I, be okay with that. I think we have to be consistent here. So last year, um, when people, when you know Penny Sparrow happened and all the other stuff around it, and people were saying nasty stuff on Facebook, um, and to, frankly, people at Vits were walking around already with "kill whites" uh, or "or fuck the whites." That was the T-shirt yes. that they were walking around with. The reality is, is that. Um, did I like the t-shirts? No. Did I like the people's racist posts on Facebook? No. Um, but we have to be consistent. I, I have to be consistent and say, well, I defended those people's right to say those things um, and to express themselves in saying those things. And I defend uh, Black First Land First's right to, to do it today. Right. And I think I would be hypocritical if I didn't. We do, it is becoming a bit more complicated because now we're getting, we really are in South Africa getting to the baying mob example. So we're getting closer to the point where it's, it's, you're saying stuff, but it's not like there's no reasonable expectation that this will result in some sort of physical action, including violence. Um, and so it's starting to become a bit more, um, complex. And we had this discussion with Mark, you know, who, yeah, Mark and Rian last week. Um, it's, it's, it's becoming a bit more complex. Yeah. So Coligny, uh, Colony as an example, um, you know, very difficult to say there. Should, should in an environment people are literally burning houses, should someone be able to stand up and go, we should burn all the whites houses? Well, probably not. Cause that's, that becomes, they are all literally doing it. People are doing it. But, but I still think it's not, it's, it's, it's a question of speech, but it's a, it's about the, the veracity of the response to that speech, which is a problem. Because as you saw with Rian, when he just said what he saw, mm. people said, oh, the way he uses words is problematic. And what he mm. really meant was X, Y, and Z. Mm. And no, Rian said, no, no, the Bangladeshi stores were looted and burnt. That's what happened. It was done on uh, not the order, so to speak, but there was talk that the EFF are behind it, mm. and the, the Premier of the Northwest had this horrible eulogy that was full of, of racial scapegoating and things like that. That's what happened. That's a matter of fact. And that is a response to the situation, but then Rian is shut down by, by Sisonke et al. Yeah. So even if... So, I'm not too worried about the Northwest Premier saying his thing, but I should be, if I respond, if I respond, my claim should be just as strong as his claim mm-hmm. to speech. But the problem is if I say something in return, are you white, fragile, white anxiety, etc. So, so no one actually really listens to what I say. They just look at my character and then just paint me in this way. Yeah. That's a big problem for me. What do you think about the problem of let's say speech is fine. There's nothing wrong with speech, but the issue is, is that at some point, if in a society like ours, certainly there has to be a way to protect those who would go, who would go beyond that. So um, the police, as an example, should be there to protect citizens from those who would um, take a speech and then, use that speech as motivation to go and burn down someone's house or attack them or loot their shop or yeah. do whatever. Um, and we don't have a really effective police service. So is the, you know, we're trying to kind of 
say, well, should speech kind of be be stopped because it's causing these bad things, or should we rather just try focus on having police that actually are efficient well, this, in this process? This I know may, you're not a big fan of the police. No, well, this may surprise you, but I can fully see the justification for banning speech if it causes division. In, in the in the in the way that Singapore does it, so in Singapore you're allowed to be any religion you want. You just don't proselytize it in public. You don't put it on Facebook. You don't say, "Oh, Muslims are terrorists," etc. Because then you'll get fined, because it creates unnecessary division in the society. But it's a small city state, and all they're worried about is making money. And if you talk about these sort of things, you you divert attention away. I look at that, it's illiberal, but I understand why it's happening, and I don't approve, but I see why, I, I don't approve, but I can see why people would approve of that. Yeah, the, the issue there comes in is who def, who's defining what's no, divisive. No, and, it's the state. Who does you know, it once again, you know, somewhere like Singapore, you have, once again, a relatively homogenous environment uh, or group of people. Uh, Singaporeans, as far as I know, I'm sure there are different cultures and, and whatever there, but it, it doesn't, it's not like, I don't think it's as, uh, uh, what, what, what would be the word? Diverse. diverse that's it. Um, diversity is our strength. Uh, I don't think it would be as diverse as, as South Africa, for example, uh, where, you know, what, what, what one group might find, um, crosses a boundary is I mean, perfectly we've got, fine. We've got 12 with tribes living in this country. Okay, 13, 13, if you argue that white English Europeans are another tribe. Yeah, I mean, they're, whole, they're, a they're bunch not going to agree on everything. Yeah, I, uh, at all. I, I would rather, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I buy the, the Singapore thing. The, the biggest problem with Singapore is it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an issue when you try to argue these things because it's one of those countries where some of the stuff, works and 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 it really and the country works really well and so dictatorship for example they have a yes. benevolent dictatorship um so it kind of is the one example of benevolent or well, dictatorship works put it that way sure. benevolent dictatorship works so provided you're not really killing people although they do jail people and they do harshly punish people but people are aware of what the crime is yeah they don't just create crimes on the whim no, 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 drugs, no, not, they don't fake it. If you have drugs, you'll be in prison. That's yeah. been the law for 50 yeah. years. And they're not planting drugs on people to like add know, political yeah. dissidents to put them in prison sure. and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's kind of the only place it's really worked. Can you think of other, well, other South, examples? South Korea. South Korea had dictated for about 30 years. Uh, Park, I think was his name. Mm, but I think they've done better since they haven't, since they've had a democratic system. True. But as Vessel van Rensburg said on this podcast, has it been like a liberated country that has worked very well under liberal principles out of the starting gates? I don't know. There's always, been, there's always been an evolution of this authoritarianism and then like liberal values and then full on liberty and then it's worked well. But the United well, States, and I mean, then, it's, then it's worked well. And I would argue we're in the middle of the experiment. So I'm not sure if then it's eaten itself. Yeah, but you need authoritarianism that is looking to make the country wealthier. Here we just got authoritarianism that is looking to make walls well, for self enrichment only. I mean, let's let's run with your let's run with your idea in South Africa. Let's say we go and say anything that's divisive uh, is you're not allowed to say. Yeah, if, just, if, and just you, make it clear. You, you get three months in jail and a ten thousand rand fine. Sure. Okay. Um, so, and that would include 
from either side. So Eusebius yeah, can no longer say white people have privilege. Yes. Okay. And um, I don't know. Steve can no longer say black people are committing genocide. Yes. Um, and we can't say feminism and cancer. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, we can't say yeah, feminism is cancer. Uh, all these kinds of things. So, so anything. So all of those things kind of ruins discussion. Actually, I mean, what would discuss? Well, the weather is nice today, yeah. isn't it, Ramon? Uh, but yeah, but it's also a question of enforcement as well, of course. Yeah, uh, but it would obviously apply to people with a platform. I imagine it wouldn't apply to people in their homes because sure. you'd never be able to to of really course. track that. Um, so it would mostly be public platforms. Politicians, media people, etc., uh, who couldn't say those things anymore. Do you, you think we'd be in a better place? Um, in this country, no. Yeah, I don't. We're not, so, we're not uh, homogenous by any means. We're not. Uh, I, I think. I think it's actually very important that we have as much free speech as possible, just to get all that shit out in the public, and then we can fight it. Yeah. Um, well, this podcast wouldn't have been possible if that kind of no. ruling was around. No. no, it won't work here. In Singapore, it works. You've got a million people within like 30 square kilometers. Like, it's not difficult to control <laughs> that. All right. What, what else have we got on the board? Right. So people are very interested in, in healthcare. Okay, um, shoot some stuff at me. I haven't prepared, so I'll do my best. See, we can see that. So what, what is your future prognosis for the medical healthcare industry in this country? And I assume this would invoke uh, the NHI. Yeah. And, Aaron Motswalili, who so, thinks private medical aids are like devil. Okay. So the first thing to say is that the government has been on a crusade against private health care for a number of years now. Uh, and that's been facilitated through a number of means. Um, one is that uh, they've gone to they've they've gone to the competition commission to try and nail the uh, hospitals for collusion, um, which may or may not be going on. Um, they've also that, that's from the competition side. They've also tried to regulate very heavily to to try and make life a lot more difficult for for uh, public uh, private providers. Hasn't really actually stunted private providers that are already established. It's uh, it's stunted uh, small ones. I, as an example, I tried to help a nurse not too long ago. She was a midwife. Um, to she wanted to open up a small um, clinic um, on the outskirts of a township uh, where she would help deliver babies this would uh, cost patients uh, what they could afford essentially it would be probably a profitable business based on the outlook and it was unable to be done because the building she had found the corridors were 1.1 meters and they by law needed to be 1.4 meters or something stupid like that and so uh, it would have involved a whole bunch of construction which wasn't affordable. So they, they've done a whole bunch of those things. And then, then obviously there's the NHI. Um, the, what happens to South African healthcare depends very much on the NHI ultimately. Uh, if, it, if it goes ahead, which is unlikely, and the reason it's unlikely is because they can't fund it. Um, you're on, you're on. Um, <laughs> um, they can't fund the NHI. There's been a whole bunch of proposals. Essentially, it's going to be your tax. They're going to have to take it out of your tax, and it's around 10%. Um, so if you pay, if you're at the upper end of the tax bracket and you're paying around 40% tax, you're going to pay 50% tax. Um, if that happens, uh, for a number of reasons, healthcare in this country will collapse. Um, and, and so will the middle class. Yeah. If, so if, if you want to destroy the middle class, take healthcare away. Yeah. They will go elsewhere. So there's a bunch of economists who've looked at this. Um, I don't want to misquote him, but Chris Hart's one of them. Um, and, and when it first happened, I, I went to a lot of the meetings and, and gave my opinion. 
Um, one of the one of the things that happens then is ten percent of your salary goes to paying for a government medical aid, which allows you to go to government healthcare. Um, and what that means is that the majority of medical aid payers are on the lower levels of medical aid. So most people are not on a discovery executive plan. Um, they're on one of the lower plans. And so if you tax them an extra one to 2,000 rand a month, they can no longer afford to be on the discovery or fed health or whatever you're on. Uh, so then what happens is medical aid becomes a niche market. But now if your executive plan was costing you five grand, it now costs you 20 grand. It's just basic economics. I'm sucking numbers, obviously, but that's essentially what's going to happen. So the rich will stay on medical aids. The middle class won't be able to afford it anymore. The guys who are on the middle plans, and they'll drop off too. Um, and then what happens is on the other side is the doctors are going to leave in droves. So the entire system, in my opinion, exists because Erin Watsuleli came into government with a – health department which was not in a good space and I believe he probably sat down at some point and said what do I need to fix healthcare and the answer to that was well you probably need 500 hospitals and 10,000 specialists and he said how much will they cost me and they said look it'll take about 25 years and it'll probably cost you x number of trillion rand and instead of doing that he said all right where can I get 500 hospitals and 10,000 specialists and so the answer is very simple. If you somehow hijack the private industry and make it the public industry, then uh, then you, there you go. There's, there's your hospitals and there's your specialists. And that's what they intend to do. Uh, the reason why doctors will leave is because government will now say they will take away the free market. So they will now say, we will pay you 3,000 rand as a surgeon to do an appendix. Some surgeons will go, okay, no problem. Generally, those will be the guys who in a free market do not uh, necessarily have uh, tons of patients coming to them. And the guys who are charging 10 will go, screw you, I'm out of here. Um, and so you'll get, you'll probably get a flight. The other problem we have, which is one of the reasons why public health care is a mess, is if I'm in public health care and I am, let's use a surgeon as, a, as an easy example, if I have five complications for every surgery, 10 surgeries I do, um, that would make me quite a bad surgeon. Um, and my colleague has one complication for every 10 he does that make him good, not not amazing. Um, him and I will earn the same amount of money at the end of the year. Him and I, well, there are no bonuses, but if there were, we would get the same bonus. And no one would even notice these differences in complication rates. And ultimately, when you do that, you're just um, asking for mediocrity. And so if the NHL answer the, the bottom line answers the question, if the NHR comes in, we're a bit screwed in terms of healthcare. Get to know a doctor, make sure they've got a nice dining room table that you can lie on. Um, and if it doesn't come in, which it won't based on the fact that the fiscus is currently screwed, we can't afford it. And if the DA comes into power at any point, it also probably won't, certainly not in that format. Um, then we're, we'll be okay and we will remain a very good healthcare country. Just to say something, if you are able to go to public, um, to private healthcare in this country, we're rated as one of the top 10, um, countries for healthcare in the world. That's in the private industry. In fact, one, one scale has us fourth in the world. You have uh, some of the Nordic countries and then us. So we beat Australia, Canada, the US, 
the UK. Um, all well, those in countries. Canada, it's better to be a dog than a human because the veterinary services are not uh, are not um, socialized, regulated at all. Yeah. And your dog can get a surgery today, whereas you have to wait like four months. Yeah, you wait you wait for your surgery. So that's uh, that's on that. Is there anything else on healthcare? I've no, not it. really. I just wanted to know. Nicholas asks, uh, do you think uh, the government should be in healthcare in any way? That's an interesting question. I, I um, try to keep it. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it short because yeah. it's healthcare, and I'm taking the whole podcast. Um, I think that there's a small, but this is my general view on government. So I think there's a small role for government in the people who absolutely cannot afford it. Uh, and I would w- probably run that on a voucher system the same way as I would run schools. Um, but I would not allow the government to provide that health care. I Indeed. would still have private industry providing the health care. So for those who don't know about your system, you just give a, a, a card or a debit card to someone uh, in need. You put on 50,000 rand for the year and they can only use that at a health care facility of sorts. And they use the money on the card for their health care needs. I think that will work mm. very, very well. Yeah. So all the basics are covered. Right. So Sebastian has a, a quote by Oscar Wilde, which I think is quite great. He said, the UK would have peace if only the Irish would learn how to listen and the English would learn how to talk. How applicable is this for black and white in SA? Personally, I think there isn't enough dialogue at all in this country. I, I think we, a lot of people lead completely separate lives. I have nothing in common with many black compatriots. They have nothing in common with me. I don't watch, you know, I don't watch soccer. They love soccer. I don't have used public transport. In fairness, you don't they have much do. in common with your white compatriots who watch soccer. Either. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, but in terms of, of, of lifestyle, in terms of transport, in terms of income, in terms of just networking, um, we, we share very little whatsoever. So I think dialogue is is extremely extremely valuable, um, but unfortunately, the ordinary person wants dialogue. The people controlling the way dialogue is um, used don't want dialogue. They want to shut people down for views and criminalize views. So I think a lot more dialogue is required, um, but in a way that permeates throughout the society but i don't know how it's going to be done so i i don't i'm not convinced on the dialogue but uh you know it's something that politicians like to 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 rest on um i think sindile made fair points in terms of integration so yes. you know I, i've basically my entire working life has been spent amongst a for want of a better word diverse group of south africans and largely with a black population yeah same here. Um, i've spent in fact a, mo- most of my working life in soweto actually um which i love um i very much enjoy working there look at you gentrifying soweto um, <laughs> but and 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 i think i think that um part of that part of that uh sort of instead of just you skip the dialogue if you can just basically bring people together because they have uh, similar interests or similar goals um, or are just getting along with their lives and they just happen to cross paths. And and so it doesn't become a, a race thing at all. It's not about black and white. So, sure. you know, if we, we go to a bri and they're just – 
wouldn't it be great if, and I think most people do do this, I, I, I certainly do, but it, it, it should be that you go to a bra and there just happen to be people there. Not you go to a bra and you go, oh, there's a black dude um, or, oh, there's a white dude. Uh, it's, it's, that uh, is, is uh, the ideal sort of situation. Um, and I, I suppose that's better than dialogue to me. Well, I mean, dialogue in a sense, not like having a formal you know, yeah. national discussion, but just being able to just talk to each other, generally speaking. Yeah. Look, I mean, one of the issues in terms of dialogue we have is, and in terms of that quote that you read out is the, currently we have a group being told to shut up. <laughs> one side is being told literally in those words, shut up or keep quiet. Yes. Uh, and the other side is, 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 is saying, no, and the other side is, no, be quiet. We will speak on your behalf. Yes. Because we know better than you. Yeah. So actually there's this sort of hypocritical group in the middle. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a work in progress. Yeah. And I think the more, as Cindy said a few weeks ago, if there's more upwardly mobile black people, then you'll see that it is a, a class problem, not a race problem. Mm. I have many, uh, compatriots who, in the same middle class as I am and we get along fine you know yeah. we worry about the price of bread at Woolies or whatever the fuck it is and that's it so now people are very very interested in why I don't consider myself a libertarian anymore oh, I, we didn't get through this in the beginning so did you ever consider yourself a libertarian I self-identified as one Personally, <laughs> that's uh, an Apache for, helicopter for a while for a while um, I'm still I'm still I have a lot of empathy for the libertarian position. I do think more freedom is better than less freedom. But I think if you only look at the world in terms of freedom and oppression and in economic terms, I don't think it's helpful. Uh, very good friends who are socialists say, I mean, is the profit motive the best way to run an education system, as an example? And, and that floored me. I'm like, yeah, surely, yes. And you think about it more. Maybe it isn't the best way to run education. For a libertarian, they'll be fine because mm. it's private enterprise competing, etc. Is it the best way to run education? I have my doubts. So what if uh, – is it because – so if in, in that example, is it because um, profit outcome and education outcome are, are separate? Well, if, if profit is your motive – Yeah, then you don't really care what your product is. No, you do care what your product is, but how do we know the product is actually – the optimal way to teach someone something. Yeah, well, but let's so let's take a school. Yeah, that's that's the profit-driven school, private school. Yeah. Um, I, I think certainly the you know at the upper echelons of these schools, they will very much look at what they're putting out. They tell you how many distinctions their kids got and all sure. the rest of it. But let's let's take a lower to middle end uh, v version of Model that. Model C school or whatever. Um, yeah, private but, but one, private one, yeah, sure. that that kind of level. Um. The the issue being is if they've turned over a good profit at the end of the year, according to whoever owns them, they've done well. If the shareholders the shareholders are happy, but if if, it, a, if the kids coming out aren't yeah. particularly solid in terms of their ability or knowledge, that's where the issue comes in. I mean, the, the school system has been around for for two hundred years. It still works the same principle, the same principles on which it was founded. Um, they've been profit schools forever. But why do we think that learning how to Look at maps in geography is like useful. Why do we think learning about cells in biology is useful? It's just a curriculum. Um, you know, why is that useful? Maybe gardening is useful. 
Maybe growing your own food is useful. Maybe critical thinking is useful. Uh, and that does, there's no profit motive needed for that. I just don't know if the schooling system in general is, is, is optimal. If, if the biggest question is if there was no profit motive, what would be the alternative? And because that's often the statement a lot of people go, look, sure. capitalism not perfect, but it's the best of, of, of a whole bunch it of, is the best of It is the best of the worst. Well, you got community schools, right? You, people just, uh, there has to be some sort of funding of sorts, but if, if the outcome is based on, on student well-being as opposed to profit, you can have an NGO, right? An NGO school where the community kicks in and donates and, and do whatever they need to do. Mm. And they, and there's like a broad consensus of what they want to teach the children. Anything from gardening to like astrophysics. Cool. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't see why that wouldn't happen in a for-profit school. No, I know. It could happen. Yeah. But is profit the best way I, I, to educate? I, I think curriculum uh, muddies the water a bit in, that, in the sense that curriculum is driven by regulation. The government has a set of, oh, sure. of um, subjects that I assume it's the government or the bodies at least, you know, something like uh, GDE, IEB, etc. Right. Have, right. have, you know, every student must do a language or two languages, I think. One, one first and one second at least, I think, is the ruling. Um, you have to do a maths or if you don't do a maths, you must do a math substitute. Uh, you know, those kinds of, sure. those kinds of rules. But uh, let's say, let's just go back to the, to the, to the, the question at hand. Yeah. Um, another reason why I'm not libertarian is because I don't <laughs> think. <laughs> that question. <laughs> yes, that one. I, I don't think that being ideologically pure is very helpful. At the best of times, I think humans are messy. Yeah, very messy. I, I agree with ideological purity. And life purity. is messy, and I don't think being ideologically pure on every single thing is helpful at all. If her mashaba is bringing, you know, is is not using labor brokers, it is he's paying security guards himself because it's cheaper and it lessens corruption. Cool. Libertarian yeah. will be like, that's atrocious. Well, well, those of you friends with us, uh, Martin and I had a go with each other recently. But, but the thing I love with, with, with my friends who are firmly on the right is that we can have a go at each other and we're still mates. And this is the um, Facebook group, by the way. So you must join it to, to, to get involved because we, we get quite heated, but it's always, <laughs> it's always like quite respectful. So, you know, for example, Herman Mashaba, you, you talk about and, and he has, he's done some things. You know, this is a guy who was running the Free Market Foundation at one point. Um, he's very much a capitalist. He's self-stated capitalist crusader. Um, he, he, he claims to be a libertarian. Um, and he's done things which if you are a down-the-line libertarian, uh, you, you cannot possibly support. Yeah, you'll be horrified. Um, and and, and Martin, for example, is horrified. Yeah, Martin is horrified. Yeah. I make the argument that there has to be some pragmatism, which is what you're saying about the world being messy. Absolutely. Um, and I think here's the thing. I think you can you can hold a very strict view of the world as 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 the way you see it. You can say I am libertarian. You can say sure. I am a classical liberal. You can say I am a socialist. But then you have to go. Okay. I have these very strict criteria of how the world's going to work right now. This second, um, does the world work like that? And the chances are the answer is going to be no. And if you try and make it work like that, or just look at every example, according to your own endpoint, uh, you, you're going to get very frustrated. And I think that the point is, is, and it's what I've always asked about 
a lot of our guests, how do we de-escalate government? Because if you, if you don't want the government, then, then I don't believe we go from a point, unless we have some sort of nuclear holocaust, I don't believe we ever go from a point of, oh, the government, and then no government. We go from a point of government, and then hopefully smaller, 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 until in your example, we would get to nothing. Sure. And in my example, we would get to controls, only the major stuff that seriously I have no interest in. Yeah. Um, and the public sector, I, I, personally wouldn't trust them with sure. um so so you know the, the that's that's i think you've got to be quite uh, reasonable in that and and it, it, but, it, but lots of people disagree yeah that's fine but it's also i mean something i learned listening to a podcast the other day saudi arabia it's a what do you call it um theo- theocracy theocracy right and a, a muslim Chap was talking about. It. He says, "If you think the royal family is strident, wait till you meet like the actual population. The royal family of Saudi Arabia, who control the country, are actually far more so-called progressive than yeah. the population itself. Well, probably because the royal family have all been ex- educated at Oxford, right? But the, the, here's the thing: as a libertarian, you'd be like, no, you need like you know ut- utmost freedom for anything. But if you give utmost freedom p- to people who don't want it." Or if you That's give what, utmost freedom to people who believe themselves, they aren't being forced, they believe that they can beat their wives. That's what they personally, individually believe. Yes. So you give utmost freedom to that person. Um, I mean, look, in Saudi Arabia, you're allowed to do it, right? Sure. But uh, but if you do that in another country, let's say Belgium, Saudi Arabian moves to Belgium, um, and now you say, well, um, we're going to give you complete freedom to do as you please, um, he will beat his wife. So there's that as well. His freedom may not sure. be sure. Uh, and the problem with freedom, and the problem with freedom is that we we accept in uh, we accept things that are anti freedom, in the name of freedom. So we'll accept a lot of people who have shared different culture from us or things like that. We, as as people who love freedom, we accept them into yeah. our communities or things like that. But they use the freedom we give them to. Yeah. Well, this was on one of your, your recent studies. I mean, this is where the right eats itself. Right. Okay. So, so the right argues for as much freedom as possible, but as much freedom as possible results in things like everyday feminism having a website and yes. spewing utter shit because we believe they should be free to spew that shit. Yeah. But the, 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 the result of that is that 30 years of that type of freedom has led to them infiltrating every single university pretty much in the Western world. And now slowly destroying academia. Right. So there is, and I don't know what the answer is, but there is. Well, less government funding for one, but <laughs> yes, but yes. I mean, I think people should be free, but I think it, it's not, it's not possible in a nation state to be free in the way that is the most beneficial. So you should, if you have communities across the world without nation states, if you arrive in a community, if, if I go to Soweto tomorrow, I'm not going to wear an old South African flag, right? No. On my on my person, because I know it's deeply Although, offensive. let me just tell you, I, I would bet that if you did do that, you'd probably, I mean, some people would probably say things to you and you would not be liked, but I think you'd be fine. Whereas if you walked through Seapoint, um, you'd be in trouble. No, but here's a key thing, though. If I do wear that flag, I want people to tell me that I'm an arsehole and a moron, because the cultural and ethical mores of the community are against that flag. Yes. And I'm very happy to assuage their sensibilities and not wear that flag. Yeah. Or the, yeah. So it, it lessens my freedom, mm. but the community demands this normative well, standard the, from the, me. The, the big thing about freedom is that, is that freedom doesn't come without consequence. Sure. So, but we, but 
I, I personally, yeah. I think we have given no consequences to some things. To, to a lot of freedom, yes. All right. Uh, can I? Let's get on to another point, which uh, you know you you often talk about trolling. Um, yes. There was a question asked around uh, around trolling. Is it, yeah, is it beneficial to troll? Yeah. Or Mark asked the question right. if, 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 you know, does, does, uh, do you think that trolling people means the message gets lost or amplifies the message? Does it allow you to transcend your own echo chamber or does it confine you to it? I, th- I think it, it will confine you. It depends how you do it. Like, I have actually unfollowed, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, Lauren Southern, uh, the rebel media chaps. Because they are creating their own echo chamber. You have Lauren Southern going into the Mediterranean and trying to stop immigrant ships from reaching Italy or something. Mm. I mean, that's horrific. That's that's to me, it's it's a it's a it's a diabolical act. Because in her mind, she's so anti-immigrant, um, without any any conception of what who those people are, where they come from, what the intentions are. They could be Syrian refugees, you know. Um, so. And that I see that as trolling, and it put me off completely, off uh, these people. Yeah. So I think we troll. I'm not saying it's an art, but we troll when necessary. But whenever we do troll, we're quite sincere in what we say when we troll. We don't just troll for the sake of it. Isn't there a thing about punching up as well, in a way? Um, so uh, you're not really punching up if you're kind of trying to stop a few women in a boat getting to Italy. Um, but we like a plucky but, little podcast but, taking on the Mail and Guardian, for example. Yeah, I'll sure. I'll troll them with, with pleasure. Yeah. So I think I think there is something to that. Um, yeah, look, I think you need to be careful as well because, you know, if you've unfollowed all those people, you could also create your own echo chamber in terms of not getting exposed to them to some extent. I mean, uh, there are some people I will – I think I still follow Lauren. Um, I, I've never followed Milo, actually. Um Someone that I stopped following was Stefan Molyneux. Um, yeah. Because, because, because be Stefan, um, who actually does often have some great points to make. And actually the last, um, two weeks back, uh, when you listen to this, um, Crowder show, he was on there, uh, made some excellent points, really sure. some superb points that I, I fully agreed with. But he, he, a while back, I was listening to something of his in which he started talking about, uh, intelligence, intelligence differences in race groups, yeah. uh, which was complete bigoted bullshit. And, uh, he was using, um, data, which I know is false or uh, falsified in the way that they, they got to, to it. And, and even that, <clears throat> I mean, Sam Harris had Charles Murray on about, of the bell curve. Yeah. Him. Even if that is true, there's like a 5% difference between races in IQ points. So whatever the case might be, is that actually helpful at all? In any way, I don't mind the research, but the the uh, consequences flowing from that are always nefarious. Like, is it useful at all? Yeah, look, we need to be careful because I think I think we you need to be careful not to try say, well, it's not useful, so don't do it. Um, no, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just yeah. saying, is it necessary to know? Yeah, but look, I mean, as individuals, Charles Murray, and that's an important podcast to listen to, actually. Um, one of Sam's gone off the deep end as well on the other side, but of his recent podcasts, 
that's certainly one to listen to. There are a number of caveats which which Charles Murray makes in terms of in terms of in terms yeah. of his book. And if you've read the book, <laughs> the the controversy comes from basically one chapter in the book right. of what is well, otherwise it's one, it's, it's two sentences. A I very think. a very yeah a very reasonable, well thought out, well approached book in which. If you listen to the Sam podcast, the Harris podcast, he he goes over how many years um, they they sort of spent getting to the end of that book. Um, anyway, look, I, I think uh, trolling can be useful. I think you have to be uh, clever about how you do it, thoughtful about how you do it. Um, and, and know that you're doing it. And, and, and also, you know, some stuff gets called trolling that isn't trolling. I mean, the truth is all these words are getting stolen. Snowflake is one that drives me mad, right? Because snowflake really means – Triglypuff is a snowflake. Yes. Okay, you sit in at a lecture, nothing's been said to you, nothing's happened, and you just start banging on the table, throwing your head back and forth, going, ah! "Get this hate speech out of this campus!" Yeah, like yeah, very loudly. Yeah, you know th- that is that is a snowflake. When you when you find something that you don't like and you have some justified reason that you can explain. Yeah. Reasonably, if you argue against a position, you're not a snowflake. That's not a snowflake. Yeah. So you know, I, I think I think the problem is is these words on both sides get hijacked. I mean, the left is now hijacked snowflake. So every time you know Donald Trump does something, for example, and and the people go, oh, he's such a snowflake or something. The left now calls him a snowflake, and the right goes, oh, he's not a snow. Oh, is that so, snowflake? I mean, it's you know, really pathetic. It, both it's ways. completely pathetic, yeah. and uh, just just be like a fucking reasonable human. What else? Right. So, second last question. Okay. Uh, Sarul uh, asks, "Do you believe in global warming?" Uh, in it sounded like you guys were sitting on the fence with Doctor Moore, uh, Patrick Moore, uh, the, that podcast. I think the climate is changing. I know. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I know that. Like, how many? How many? What percentage of the predictions turn out to be false? I think like all of them. Turn out to well, be the, false. The, the, the further you the, the further you go beyond ten years, basically they all turn right to shit. Um, so I think the climate is changing. I'm there's a there's a lot of consensus, which is fine, but it's not. It doesn't mean it's true. So <clears throat> I know I have no impact whatsoever on the on the ozone or CO two emissions. I drive one car. I live in one house. I don't put on my my heater and aircon at the same time. So to me, I don't really care if I'm really honest. So, all right. And I don't trust the state to fix it because they're the biggest fucking polluters in the world. Yeah. They cause the problem if the problem exists. All right. So my personal belief on it is, um, is there climate change? Is there, so there's not, there's, there is and there isn't global warming. Okay. And that's why they had to dump the term. Um, so that's the first part that you need to realize. There's a lot of disingenuous incentive happening. Um, it's a politicized subject. So unfortunately, it's not just scientific anymore. It's definitely politicized. Is the climate changing? Almost definitely. Um, it's, and, but, but if you listen to the, that, that uh, podcast we had with Dr. Moore, it's spent the last four billion years changing. Okay. It will change with or without us. Um, the real question isn't whether, and, and this is the big argue, the problem is that the argument is still being had. One side says, no, there's no such thing as climate change. One side says climate change is going to kill us all. And that's where the debate is being had. I don't care to have that debate. I think that climate change is happening. What I really care about is, um, how bad is the problem? 
um, where is it going to be a problem and where is it going to be beneficial? Because any change in the climate globally in some places will be helpful and in other places will be unhelpful. Um, I don't buy the it's going to kill us all argument. And I also believe in humanity. I think that every time humans are faced with a major problem, we overcome it. It's happened again and again in disease. It's happened. Ebola is the most recent example, guys. Yeah. We had Ebola. It was an unsolvable problem. Yes, it was because a whole bunch of Americans got sick, but it's beside the point. The point is we had a disease that for 40 years we didn't know what to do with no vaccine. Now we basically have a vaccine. Same with malaria um, now. We're starting to get a vaccine. Or there's one so humans are creatures, creatures of necessity. Yeah. Um, the the real questions we need to ask are questions like, okay, we're making giant agreements in which governments are paying trillions of dollars. And by governments, I mean you. You are paying trillions of dollars um, to fix a problem we don't actually know whether we can fix. And we don't know if it's worth fixing. Yeah. So if I told you that, if it's a that I can save you 5,000 rand a month, I, you can keep your 5,000 rand a month. Um, every family in the country can have that extra cash, um, but we're going to lose um, the front end of Cape Town and Durban. You need to make that decision about whether you think that's a big enough problem or not. Yeah. Um, and, and so these are the real discussions we need to be having. Um, I, I think that the fact that the issues become politicized and there's so much money going into it is of, is of major concern. Yeah, it's, it's, it feels like a cottage industry. Mm. So, it's, uh, so last question. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Russell asks, is the personal toll of engaging in frontline idea wars, have we received any terrible abuse or credible death threats as yet. So here's a problem that I face. We receive no hate mail. <laughs> That's not entirely true. Well, except for two, 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 uh, two things we've done. But in general, every yeah. week, we only get like support. We got hat mail for the tip for the waitress last year. Yeah, lots. And and that was the only time we got sort of proper threats. Yeah, and we doubled down and told everyone to go get fucked. <laughs> and then since then, the Shady Garland thing got us a bit of hate as well yeah but not to the same extent at all so th th yeah um so personally I, I actually enjoy fighting with people to be honest yeah on, i think it's online. if you're a confrontational non-confrontational person i have to be honest some of it gets a bit um cumbersome or tiring and tiresome yes. um, in, in the sense that for example i've got sort of haters on Twitter who have been going at it for five years and they have, and if you've been following me on Twitter since I started, you'll know that for the first three or four years, I literally tweeted jokes and I tweeted like eight jokes a day, the puns and, and you know, nothing. That's what Twitter used to be. Actually, it used to just basically be a joke generator. And uh, a lot of my jokes were about Casa Semenya. I don't regret those jokes um, because they were funny in my opinion at the time. Um, and you might not like them and you might find them crude and that's fine. That's your opinion. Um, and they, these, these particular people love to like throw screenshots at me from 2012 and 2011. Oh, yeah, I love that um, too. They can't find any of me because I don't make jokes about people. Yeah. So, you know, and I've made some jokes about Serena Williams. I've also made jokes about Tiger Woods for, for what it's worth. Um, Did you make jokes about anyone. Yeah. Well, that's, they, they that's, come that's, in that's, about the ones you make about men. That's, that's, that's the point. Um, so, so yeah, there's, you know, there's some of that that goes on, uh, in terms of the same people popping up. I've got to be honest. A lot of them have been muted. 
Um, and I, I don't really see this no, stuff but I mean, anymore. That, that's trolling back and forth. That's sort of expected. But as yeah. for credible threats, no. No. Uh, we Over the years, there have been a couple here and there. There was yeah. one, once, um, long before the podcast, I uh, pissed someone off. I can't remember what it was that I was doing. And uh, they doxed me, essentially. Oh, really? um, yeah, I found my address and made, made a threat of, of, of sorts. Um, but, yeah, ugh, come at us. It uh, really doesn't bother us. We're going to carry on doing what we do. And, meh. Yeah. And, yeah, well, that's the questions for this month. I don't know when, how often we'll do these because we've got a hell of a lot of interesting guests. Did we get to everyone? Oh, we didn't get to everyone. I'm sorry uh, sorry to uh, De Villiers. We didn't get to Borders. So let's uh, – we'll, we'll save it for next time. Yeah, save it we for will. Next time. We will. Uh, and as for the question why Wit has four times more followers than I do – Did someone ask that question? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's only one reason because like Trevor Noah retweeted you like five times over the course of four years. And that's it. <laughs> and you were on way earlier than I was. It's also because of how Twitter now works and how it used to work. So in the early days, people used to follow you quite a bit. If you got retweets and now people are, um, pretty, uh, skeptical with their follows. So, uh, growth is, is slow on Twitter. But I noticed that I've got only 4,800 followers, but mm. if I look at the reach I get, mm. like I get like over a million impressions a, a, a month. No, I've never looked at my impressions. Go look at it. Become alt-right, bro. You need to screenshot it and say, mainstream media only gets like 500,000. Check reach. this. I beat Cernovich. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's the Renegade Report for this week Thanks so much for listening um, We hope you've been enjoying the shows Please join the group Then you can be involved in question time like this Yes, please do So just look for it For some reason I can't link it on Twitter But I will But uh, just look for Renegade Report group And you just send uh, You click the link And we will approve you If you don't have a weird Thai name yeah, it's all those lady boys. Uh, that's where to find us on Facebook. There's also a page which you can like. And on Twitter, at Renegade underscore reports. It's Jonathan and Ramon. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. Goodbye. Central.com.